0: welcome to empower humans welcome again to the empower humans podcast this is episode 71 with the wonderful amazing wise michael o'brien he is a success coach and all kinds of other things author of the wonderful book shift creating better tomorrows look that book up go find it read it and uh, maybe listen to it as well Uh, Peloton executive coaching, but all kinds of great principles here. He had a traumatic experience back in July 11th of 2001. And uh, I'm not going to give any parts of that away. Listen to this episode. He tells that whole story about what happened, what he learned from it. And everything that that's meant and also led into this uh, other career path and things that he's now doing as he helps, you know, one of his missions is to help a million plus people have their last bad day. And what a concept to have your last bad day. We've all had bad days. He talks about statistically, uh, they've done different studies that people have about 60 bad days per year on average, which is more than one per week. And uh, talking about framing things and not letting moments turn into bad days and all these sorts of things. We talk about leadership. We talk about teamwork. uh, We talk about all kinds of great principles and some of his heroes as well. Some different things we can do uh, in routines, morning, day and evening to kind of maintain these mindsets as these Sometimes unexpected things arise that can turn into bad days. So listen to this interview, tons of great material. I want to quickly remind you as always, you are absolutely priceless. Don't ever, 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 ever forget that. You are absolutely priceless. Don't let anyone's uh, words, thoughts, actions, uh, gossipy, bullying, or any other nonsense get in the way of that thing that you can still maintain. No matter what, it's an unchanging state of pricelessness. You are absolutely priceless. The riches are found in you. Far beyond any of the nonsense uh, so-called riches of this world uh, of things. And we talked a little bit about that in this interview as well, about things versus experiences and things like that. You're going to get a lot out of this, I believe. And uh, as always, also want to remind you, you're never, ever alone. Reach out. I'm here. Uh, Info at EmpowerHumans.com through our contact page on the same website. Also at Empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Reach out. Reach out to friends, neighbors, family, those around you. You'd be surprised how many, if you do feel alone, how many folks are really there to help you. And I, for one, am here as well. And just want to remind you also of our challenges. Study. Keep studying. This book is a great place to start if you haven't been. Again, Shift, Creating Better Tomorrows. Excellent, excellent work here by Michael O'Brien. And uh, anything, audiobooks, videos, all the various things. Do some things to stimulate your mind and learn some incredible principles And of course, make great moments that generally involves, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, that involves those that we love, that involves people generally, that involves helping, lifting, it involves surprise, it involves all kinds of things because as these bad moments happen that don't have to turn into bad days, all these great moments and other things we can do. Uh, With and for loved ones and people in general and other things, pets, whatever it might be, experiences that we have together, that's going to overshadow and be the pillars as we at some point come to the close of this mortal life here. Uh, So make great moments, study, and of course let's keep doing this podcast together. Uh, Enjoy this interview with Michael O'Brien. I can't say enough about uh, his great character and uh, contributions here and all the great, great principles that he brings to the table here that I think are really going to uplift you as uh, you go about your day, week, month, and year and decade and beyond. So uh, without further ado, here is our interview with the wonderful and amazing Michael O'Brien. We are pleased to welcome today Michael O'Brien... Uh, Chief Shift Officer, we call it, over at uh, Peloton, is that how you say it? Peloton Executive Coaching?
1: Yep, uh, spot on, Phil.
0: Good, I'm right on, on key today. <laughs> and, and you've got a book called Shift, Creating Better Tomorrows. Is there kind of a double entendre with the word shift here? Yeah,
1: there's probably a couple different ways we can play that word shift. And a lot of, obviously, the bicycle approach of shifting gears, but Certainly the story I share in that is a lot of shifts within my life and my career and shifts in perspective, which is probably the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, I like that. I always like a good double entendre, good uh, dual meaning kind of thing, especially where they both apply to whatever the message is. And you've got quite a message. And I, I was looking at kind of what your mission is here, which uh, I understand you can tell help me kind of clarify this. Help one million people have their last bad day. What do, what do we mean by that? I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, but, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's one thing it's not, so it's not unicorns and rainbows and an endless darn. supply of Skittles, you know, so <laughs> I can't, unfortunately I can't deliver that. So for me, and what I write about in my book is my last bad day, which happened on July 11th, which will 2001, which I know we'll get into. But for me, what I learned is that there are, there's a different way of living life and a different script that one can write. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to follow the script that we think society wants us to follow. And so for me, my last bad day and helping a million people realize theirs is helping them see that a new script is possible. They can write it. They've been, they're empowered to do so. They have agency. Mm-hmm. And it's that mm-hmm. day for them where they decide they're going to live life differently. And, you know, and that could be for them, unicorns, rainbows, and Skittles. Um, yeah. but I, most of the time, you know, we have, we, we have some hiccups or some curveballs in that. And I try to help people also manage those bad moments so they don't turn into bad days.
0: Okay. Okay. Good. Makes some sense. And I, and so how do we do that? Help bad moments from turning into bad days? Because it seems like that's a, a pretty common practice that we all don't want to talk about. But, you know, I, for one, I'll, I'll go out on the limb and say I've been guilty of that <laughs> where one thing goes and it's kind of silly. You look back after the fact and wow, I let that, that mess up my entire day. <laughs> and it, it was a moment. So what, what do we mean as far as helping from turning bad moments into, into bad days?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. Phil, Cause that happens all the time. Like the folks I, ride with and work with we we have them and i actually read a a study it goes back last year or maybe a couple years ago that on average people have 60 bad days a year which is you know greater than one a week so for me these these bad moments that can be intense Mm -hmm. it could be that 3 p.m 3 p.m meeting that went sort of south on friday and that could ruin more than a bad day could ruin the whole weekend so, so for me, it's about how we approach things and how quickly we shift from it. So what I share in a lot of the work I do is I'm not going to I'm not going to prevent bad moments from happening to you, but we want those moments to be less intense and not last as long. So you can yeah. move on to like, I don't know, your zone of genius or however you want to phrase it, That's sort of the goodness within you. Mm-hmm. So for me it's building that muscle to say one you know we start off our days with a healthy dose of intentionality like how do i want to approach the world what do i want to accomplish what impact do i want to make on others in in the morning and then finding ways to handle our stress or stress management or also just shift our perspective so that bad moment doesn't hijack us so as we get better with our ability to sort of calm ourselves down in a lot of ways the breath is so important to do that that helps us along the way and another practice I've learned through my recovery is something I knew nothing about back you know back at the turn of the you know century in the 2000s 2001 yeah is all about gratitude and so gratitude also helps us see what we have and can do and it can even we can even be grateful for those challenging moments in our lives As opposed to what we tend to fixate on is everything that we don't have, everything that we can't do, and that just adds fuel to that bad moment fire. So then these little moments can take on a life of their own, and then all of a sudden we're off to the races, and then it's so easy to string a few of those bad days together, and all of a sudden we're in a funk, and we don't necessarily realize how we got there.
0: Yeah reminds me of the old theme song of friends where it hasn't been your day or even your month or like things start to start or, or, or even your year and it all yeah. st- it all starts to great song yeah. No, I'm just
1: yeah, I, as they live in a, a a nice luxury apartment in New York City,
0: <laughs> with no jobs. <laughs> yeah,
1: with, with, with no jobs. Like that was a that that was that was a great show, but the so show a little unrealistic for everyone that knows yeah. New York City really well. That was one big apartment.
0: <laughs> and the and the theme song was probably the most realistic <laughs> part of the show. Yeah, but absolutely. We, yes. Yeah, but, we, yeah. We digress. Funny. Yeah, it's I and and when you talk about the word script, and we're about to get into your story about this uh, July eleventh. Uh, but do you think that's part of the script? As far as that, it's just like a given that this is just what we're used to. That's passed down from our our forefathers, kind of thing. Our parents that we, a bad moment has to turn into a bad day. That we just we just don't learn. It frustrates me in schooling. There's certain things that should be should be taught: finances, relationships, uh, things like that that apply to everybody. And and certainly problem solving or Uh, mindset is these are all things that affect everybody. Whereas, you know, certain, you know, social studies and stuff, not so much sometimes. So is that part of the script? Do you think, I know it's a big, long question, but (laughs) the short question, go ahead. I do. Yeah. no,
1: I do think it is. So, and I I totally agree with you. I think there are things in our, our, in our schooling of our kids that could be highly beneficial for them to understand um, emotional awareness, uh, emotional control, in some circles, right? Emotional intelligence. But the, the script, I think the script, a lot of it is like, notice the grindstone, personal responsibility, keep spinning on that hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. And when we're spinning so quickly, we, and we put our blinders on, we lose awareness. We lose that mindfulness connection, our connection to other people. Mm-hmm. And then when we're, we're so busy grinding it out and there's so much adrenaline that goes away, With like putting our nose to the grindstone, if something unfortunate happens or a curveball or unexpected, Mm -hmm. then we can easily get into a reactive mode. And then, you know, we, we don't, we don't show up in the way that we could, if we were more aware, more mindful or or thoughtful about our approach to life.
0: Yeah. Great points. It reminds me of Stephen Covey's first habit, be proactive of the seven habits versus what you just said, versus being reactive that no matter what's happened to us, it, whether in a momentary event or you know, some people, you know, all these traumatic things from uh, abuse and molestation, all these things that are sometimes prolonged experiences too. Uh, whatever that is, we can still have, do, be anything in our lives and be proactive. So I, I like that that thought. That makes perfect sense. And let's get into this, July eleventh, uh, two thousand one. What 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 happened? Tell me your your story.
1: Sure thing. So I was out in New Mexico. So I'm in Jersey. And back then I was also in New Jersey. We thought we were going to be in New Jersey for a few years, as we talked about before mm-hmm. we started our conversation. And we've been here now 21. So, um,
0: yeah,
1: you know, so life happens that way. But back then, I went out to a company offsite. It was a classic Monday through Friday type of meeting. And I had this goal. I've been a lifelong cyclist. I fell in love with the bicycle my very first ride off of training wheels i thought i could go anywhere and explore and go places without my parents i had independence so i was i brought my bike out because i wanted to cross new mexico off the states i've ridden my bike and i thought i'd be the smartest one to get some you know new mexican uh sunshine and vitamin d before the meeting began Mm -hmm. before they tried to torture you with powerpoint and the whole jazz yeah and on that morning, I came, I was doing a loop, a two-mile loop around the hotel. And as I came around one bend, a Ford Explorer had crossed into my lane fully. And I was traveling about 40 miles an hour. We later estimated after the accident. Goodness and great. I saw, when I saw him, I was like, it's hey, Phil, he's going to move, he's going to move. And he, he wasn't moving. I was like, certainly he's going to see me, he's going to move. And it was so surreal, and he never moved, and I ran out of time. I ran out of reaction time to get out of the way, and I remember the sound of me hitting his grill into the windshield I went. I remember that sound of the glass shattering and the screech of his brakes, and then I still remember the thud I made as I came to the asphalt below, and of course all that knocked me unconscious, and I was unconscious for a while until the EMTs arrived. The EMTs finally arrived, and when I regained consciousness, I was surrounded by them, and fire trucks, and ambulances, and police cars, and it was a scene,
0: this,
1: wow. you know, to put it mildly. Yeah. And I asked a question that only another cyclist can really appreciate. I asked him, I was like, Hey, how's my bike? You know? And I <laughs> oh was, gosh. I was groggy. I, I had a hard time you know, I was riding without any ID. I didn't have my license on me or a road ID back then. So I was having trouble communicating who I was and who they should call but I knew enough to ask about my bicycle and they were like, Your your bicycle's fine. You need to focus in on you. And I could tell by the energy of the scene, and not necessarily by what they said, but I could I could see the panic on their face. And I knew I knew my life was in balance and I just sort of fought to like stay awake. I thought if I fell asleep, Phil, that I would lose control over the situation, as crazy as that sounds. And eventually they called the helicopter, the medevac, to take me to Albuquerque. It was a 19-minute flight. Mm -hmm. And I remember every minute of those 19 minutes. And as they put me onto the helicopter, I told myself, I'm like, all right, if you make it through this, if you live, you have to live life differently. You have to stop chasing happiness. Because before the accident, I was really good or maybe bad at chasing happiness. And Mm -hmm. then they flew me to Albuquerque. And met my surgeons, met my anesthesiologist. And then for the next four days, I don't remember anything at all.
0: Wow. Goodness gracious. I mean, first of all, I'm sorry that happened. In some ways, you're still with us and we've learned some incredible lessons that now you're sharing with uh, zillions of people. So in other ways, we're not sorry because it was an interesting uh, learning experience. We can put it <laughs> this isn't the best words yeah. but um yeah, yeah. <laughs> were, now were you wearing a helmet I mean at least or uh yeah so helmet
1: definitely helmet saved my life and I still have the helmet I still have the bicycle which is you know not not a pretty sight my wife um insisted that we keep everything so it's in a place in the attic I don't I don't tend to look at it but wow. yeah so thank goodness I wore the helmet and you know in, in a lot large way like like a lot of people have asked me over time like if you could turn back time and it never happened to you would you want that to happen like make it go away vanish Mm -hmm. poof and the answer is like no because i i really do think it's helped me shift my perspective in almost every aspect of my life and not to say that i needed it but it was a wake-up call and because i was busy Doing that script, the script that I thought like created the American dream, like, you know, work hard in college, get a gig, find someone, marry to someone, start raising a family, work your way up the corporate ladder, and just like nose to the grindstone. And, and, and to pull a page out of Zig Ziglar, it was the whole do, have, be way of living. And yeah. so do, hustle, and grind, work your tail off to have stuff those external merit badges and then you would be happy and that that's chasing happiness and along the way i realized i could flip that script in terms of like be happy to begin do the things happy people do and then have more happiness in my life and i needed to go through something like this call it universe god or whomever they probably were sending me signs before my accident. I was too busy grinding it out. Mm-hmm. I never saw them. And they were like, well, hey, Michael, you keep on ignoring us. We're going to send you something that you can't ignore. And uh, the messenger or the message was in that SUV. And I learned a lot about myself and also learned a lot about others and and how to, how to approach life and work differently. Or at least that there are different ways of doing it besides the one
0: way that I thought was the way. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, and they lied to you about the bike too. You said, how's my bike? And they apparently you just said it wasn't okay, but I, I sidetrack here. I, I'm just thinking about, <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about this experience though. I mean, what is it about these experiences? Because uh, there's people, Brendan Burchard, you've probably seen and heard Brendan yeah. talk about his, he had a big car accident or two and he had, he, I think he had another one some years later, but, uh, these, th- what is it about these kind of experiences? And they don't, they don't always come as some physical accident either. There's other kind of calamities that can happen in life too, but, but what is it about these that shake us and wake us? So to speak,
1: I, I think they serve as a pause yeah. for us to like have some reflection time. And you know, in, in my travels, what i found is very interesting. Like, like people want to like compete on like whose accident or diagnosis is like the most significant or severe. And my feeling is, is like wh- whether it's micro or major, through the, the eyes of one particular person, it, it doesn't that doesn't necessarily matter. So you know, um, it's what what matters is it gives you a chance to pause and to yeah, yeah. look in the mirror perhaps and think about, well, how am I showing up in my life? And is this the way I want to show up. Is this what I want to do with my one wild and precious life to paraphrase Mary Oliver? Yeah. And because like, certainly I, you know, we all had Brendan, other people I did after my accident, I sat in my hospital bed for quite some time. Cause I was in the hospital for a while. I had a choice and the, early stages of my recovery, the choice I was making was I was playing a victim. So this could have been, this story could have been written a completely different way of like life's unfair, bad things happen. woe was me and downward spiral because the driver had to revoke license and the doctor painted, a, my doctor's painted a picture that my life would be full of dependency, pain and suffering and all that jazz. Yeah, And that, again, that, that was the initial phase of it. And then I realized, well, there's a different way. There's a different label I can use. And therefore I made a different choice and wrote a different story, if you will. So I think it's a great pause button that gives us a a choice in terms of how do we want to move forward in our lives, whether it's a major accident like mine or just a small, small scare of something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And 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 who would blame you if you did just take the victim mentality? But it's always it's always refreshing and inspiring to the rest of us. I for one haven't been through anything like that, and I think probably most people haven't. Most of us probably know somebody who has or saw it uh, driving by, or I mean, we've we've all been around and seen these things happen at the very least. But for those who've actually been the one involved, and in your case, the one hit uh, essentially. Um, it's, uh, I, I, but I think in, from a larger scale, we can take this as somewhat of a parable for all of us because I think we've all had that head-on collision of of sorts, uh, in a in a weaker vehicle with a stronger, <laughs> to put it mildly, vehicle of some sort. You know, whether it was, I've heard a lot of stories during this last financial crisis in 2008, and I for one was greatly affected there as well, and uh, in various ways. So I think we can take your story and kind of the dynamics of it and the results, even though the physical results are different. And I think people can then relate, uh, all of us. I just, I don't know anybody who hasn't by the time they're in their twenties and thirties haven't had, and, and then beyond there's maybe more <laughs> later in life as we need to be shaken and waken, so to speak. Uh, these, these kind of experiences. And, and one of the things I read about you is, is these words that you transform from a human doer to a human being. And, uh, what's kind of the difference there, and and how did that process unfold for you?
1: Yeah, so that that's been going on over time. But I would say in the beginning, like before my accident, like, that human doer is like I thought I had to do more to be more, as cliche as that sounds. And I think mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's common. I think it was common for a lot of people in two thousand one, and I think now with not to. You know, hate on social media but social media I think is powerful in many different ways but I I think it does lend itself to a lot of uh, comparison comparison comparison-itis the inflammation of comparison and that we feel like we have to do more because everything is sort of filtered through a lens of what we'll call it perfection and so I was doing a lot and I thought well if I just did more Mm -hmm. then my value would be clear I, I would be more and I would change that self-narrative that we all have to making it a little bit healthier and more positive. And over time and getting using Zig's, Zig Ziglar's words, turns of just showing up, you know, being a leader, being happy, being successful and sort of viewing myself that way. So I could be, be present, be present for the movie that we're all in our life movie. Mm. And if we can be, then we can see more of the frames of our lives. And I think when we're so busy doing so busy on our hamster wheel, we miss many of the frames of our movie reel and we miss certain aspects. We miss the ability to connect with a whole bunch of people Mm -hmm. um, or just Mm -hmm. enjoy life at a much higher level. And so for me, it's in what I share in the book are, are 20 ways of being 20 ways of showing up and starting there and then doing the things that, those type of people do and as a result realizing you can have more of that and so and that's something that i i totally found through my recovery and, and it it's been to play off of a cycling metaphor vernacular mm-hmm. it's been pedal stroke by pedal stroke it, i had that lightning bolt moment of clarity right that i had to change my my mind get my mind healthy in order to get my body healthy so that was the big aha But then all the work happened subsequently, where it was pedal stroke by pedal stroke of working, you know, working hard today, being present today so I could create a better tomorrow and building upon that. And I feel even to this day, years after the accident, I'm still trying to do that, take incremental steps towards whatever definition we have of mastery in in our lives and, and also in our careers.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I like a lot about what you said, and one of the things that stands out is you talk about framing things as part of being. Um, And and how do we do that as far as uh, the things in life? Because when you're saying framing, we're talking about the events. That could be the unexpected, unwanted uh, uh, turmoil that might come up maybe for a moment, a few minutes in a day that that can ruin someone's day. How do we go about reframing that? Because it seems to me... There's several different ways you could go about that, but what what do you uh, teach in that in that realm as far as framing things?
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned earlier, like I could have easily been being seen as a victim, and a whole bunch of people initially helped almost like cement that victim mentality,
0: Yeah.
1: where they would come in to visit and be like, "Poor you," and I'd be like, "Yeah, poor me. This is so unfair. Yes, it's so unfair." And almost they reinforced. What I was feeling, they validated it. And then one of my great mentors visited me, like a, a, a gentleman who was about 20, 25 years older mm-hmm. than I was at the time. And he said, Michael, like every event in your life is neutral until you label it. And I was like, you know, keep in mind, I was in my hospital, I was all bandaged up and also drugged up. And, I looked at him, and I I, I didn't understand what he was trying to tell me. And he went on further. He said, nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. So there's there's a bit of a pause, or space, if you will, between what just happened and how you want to label it. And he went on to share, like, listen, right now you're labeling yourself as a victim. This was unfair. But you could also create a story and a label around this is an opportunity to rise up be resilient, and then maybe spread your message to other people one day. Mm. And and now nowadays, I still use David's advice. Where if I have something that's a curveball in life, because I still have them, even though I call it my last bad day, I still have my bad moments, and I I look at that moment and say, okay, well, what's another way of looking at it? And part of it is hitting the pause button, you know, connecting with our breath and just reflecting. Also using our values, maybe our vision for the future, what we want out of this out of this world, out of this life and career. And then that gives me just a moment in time to say, well, maybe there's a different way to shift my perspective. And if it doesn't work for me, then I might ask people who are around me. I, I, I call it my Peloton, which is a cycling term for the group the main body of cyclists in a bike race, like the Tour de France. And they yeah. all need teamwork and collaboration to go down the road as fast as possible so i consider my my personal board of directors or my little tribe my peloton so if i feel stuck and i'm sort of hung up on one way of looking at things i might phone a friend in my peloton to say hey is there another way i should be looking at this and what do you see you know based on based on this situation based on what i'm describing to you and sometimes that helps me shift my perspective when i can't shift my perspective on my own
0: Mm. Yeah, excellent, excellent insights. And I'm taking notes here as we talk. uh, um, And I like what you said. Everything is neutral until you label it what your friend told you. And it's in line with something like Tony Robbins talks about assigning meaning, that nothing really has meaning. We assign meaning to everything. And and so, again, for an audience out there, some of which may have not had a head-on collision uh, on a cycle or some other way, um, I think about Okay, now how does this apply, you know, to some of the other common big whirlwinds in life that happen, such as losing a job or, or maybe a divorce or, or even losing a loved one or things like losing a pet or, or just things that happen uh, traumatically or someone yelled at you and, and tried to get you into this negative energy. It, maybe we pick one of those things and and kind of talk about how, like somebody who's just lost their job. How does this? It's not certainly as physically uh, challenging as getting hit by an SUV in your case, but but how do we do that in a case like that, or do we pick and choose a, a different scenario outside of here? So we're taking applying it.
1: Yeah, no, I think a great, a lot of great examples. I'll throw in because I'm outside of New York City. Well, a bad commute into work, which can like ruin your whole day. Yeah, uh, yeah. but you know something like a job loss. So and obviously going through. You know, 2008, you know, the economy has been growing since. And there are a lot of people that really haven't gone through a, a bad economy. And that economy, as someone, no, you know, I'm in my early 50s now. I've gone through a couple of different recessions, as have you, though. And yep. that one was a doozy. And a whole bunch of lives were impacted. Yep. And so in those moments, what what we do know is that when we have a heavy burden of energy, where we see the glass as being empty, forget about how full, and we take that bad moment. It's hard then to like propel ourselves forward to go out and find that new job because we just don't have the momentum or the energy to do so. So mm-hmm. for for me, like in that moment, and it's not easy. It's well, how do we take this moment that is certainly painful and comes with some suffering, and use it as an opportunity to say, okay, maybe this is a gift, where that. One door was closed. Now another window or another door was open. And this is the this is the spark I need to reinvent myself. Or I can go down that path that I was hesitating going down uh, because I was sort of in this steady corporate job. Maybe I want to go off and do an entrepreneurial thing, which many people did after 2008. You know, the whole gig economy sort of was born out of that. Um, it can also be like, okay, this is the time to tap in and build my network of people that I can help and they can help me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's taking a look at these opportunities. It's okay, well, you know, where is there opportunity in it? And, and it's not to say the opportunity is going to be a one-to-one match with how significant the issue is. Um, you know, like my accident at first was incredibly painful, and I was I was just trying to grab onto, like, those micro-wins, those little incremental wins, and again, it wasn't a one-to-one type of swap. It was still going through a lot of pain, but I, I wanted to focus in on the things I still had. So yeah. even yeah. after like the economic collapse of 2008, many people still had friends and family that they can lean on. And what I tend to say now is like, every night I can go to bed and my head hits the pillow and my daughters and my wife are still in my life, you know, as, yeah. as part yeah. main parts of my Peloton. Then I can... I I can't label my day as a bad day. I can label it as a challenging day or a a difficult day or, you know, sometimes a sad day, but a bad day seems so binary where it it shuts off all the light. So in these moments, what I try to do is, you know, help others with, is like, how do we shift our perspective on it? Where, where can we see some of the possibilities, some seeds that we can plant And then through a little watering and maybe a little bit of organic fertilizer, they can blossom into something down the road. And that hasn't happened for everyone that went through something like that in 2008, but it, but it has happened for a lot of people. It took some time. And I think the time it took was, I think goes back to like the scripts that we've been all following in terms of like, how do we adjust when change happens to us? That is unexpected. How do we make that, event less intense and not last as long so we can get on to honoring the values that we want to honor and then also creating that vision we want to create or, or at least living into it
0: okay yeah excellent and, and as i hear you elaborate on this I, I kind of uh take out a few key principles too as far as something maybe universal that we can apply whether it's something like your uh, experience or other things, as we've mentioned, job loss, divorce, these various things that loss of a loved one. Um, you talked earlier about gratitude you know, I remember Tony also Robbins talks about, uh, you, you, can't be grateful and angry at the same time, the kind of thing, uh, and grateful Gosh. and a lot of other negative things at the same. It's kind of like a lot of, you know, philosophers have taught things like that about light and darkness can occupy the same space. And gratitude certainly is arguably a form of light. Uh, and you talk about looking at it as a gift or an opportunity and just a general mindset of abundance. And it seems like we have to maybe be doing certain things, just like we exercise our bodies day in and day out to, to face the physical uh, requirements of the day. Are, are there certain kind of daily or regular habits that, that you would uh, foster or, or suggest, I should say, with uh, kind of maintaining this? Because it seems like if we're not prepared... Uh, these moments happen, and then oh, we fall into that natural tendency. Go back to that script, as you put it. What what kind of daily habits? Some people do meditation. You know, books. I guess maybe what works for the individual. But what what do you think on that? As far as regular habits to stay in that mode? Yeah.
1: I, well, I think the regular habits are so important for uh, mind, memory, uh muscle memory, because we don't we don't know when these moments are going to happen. Like no one gave me advance notice that the SUV is coming. And so by having more strength then we can respond, we can be more resilient or stronger in our resiliency. So one of the things I offer in my latest book is a lot of people ask me, well, they read my first book and they're like, well, how'd you do it? So I wrote my last bad day shift Mm -hmm. and in it, I give some routines or rituals that folks can do in the morning at work and then in the evening. So, one thing I start off with, which is common day now, is don't sleep with your phone. As silly as that sounds, but a whole bunch of people have their phone right by their bed and they use it as their alarm clock, which I do too when I travel. But having the discipline not to get into email and into like social media and stuff before you get out of bed and really wake yourself up and make that mind body connection. So, so many people. The alarm goes off, they check their phone and then off to the races, they go, they check their email, they might check whatever social media that they want to check. And it's already (laughs) like, it's already getting them like going before, Mm -hmm. like getting up and hydrating themselves because the brain needs hydration. So I often recommend starting each morning, 20 ounces of water, wake the mind up, wake the body up, make that connection. The email will be there. This doesn't take very long at all. And then go through a, a routine going back to the the do have be or the be do have in mm-hmm. terms of how do you want to be today? What do you want to do? What are your priorities that you'll spend a disproportional amount of time on? Yeah. And then what do you want to have more of in your life? And set that intentionality in the morning before we go off to the races or go into our cubes in our offices at work. So that's one routine, like how we start our morning. Yeah. Yeah. During the day, I have something that I call grabbing a PBR, which is not a PAPS blue ribbon, because a lot of people are like, Are you talking about PAPS blue ribbon? <laughs> I'm like, No, no, not that type of PBR. <laughs> but for me, it's a pause, breathe, and reflect. And I do this uh, frequently in between different meetings, different phone calls as a way to slow down and connect with my intentionality again. And almost like slow down so we could go forward better. Mm-hmm. As opposed to what happens a lot is that we go from meeting to meeting or event to event or to-do list after to-do list without really pausing enough. Yeah. And then sure. the one tip or ritual I'll give Phil uh, in the evening is going back to gratitude. It's something I do as I'm getting ready for bed, as I'm brushing my snags, which we call teeth in our house. I do my gratitude practice then. So it's one of the last things I think about before my head hits the pillow. And so it's a nice bookend, like setting intentions in the morning, hydrating, getting that body moving, slowing down and connecting with their breath during the day, and then gratitude, big, small, or challenges at at night before my head hits the pillow. And it prepares me for a healthy night of recovery, a healthy night's sleep, which is so key in our ability to like weather these bad moments so they don't like hijack us and off to the races we go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent answer. I couldn't uh, come up with a better answer myself. Uh, that's why you're in the hot seat. I, uh, <laughs> I but I, no, I love that. And it, it's all, and this is what I like is more, We talk about universal principles. It may change day to day, person to person, gender situations and stuff too. But when it gets right down to it, the stuff you're talking about applies to all of us. These are things we can all do find what we're grateful for in the evening and then all these other things you said in the morning and not have the phone as this distraction first thing. And I've heard a lot of people talk about that lately. I think that might be kind of part of the script nowadays too. Back in 2001, it was. Uh, those old Nokia phones. And and then gradually we had more flip phones and then now smartphones. And so it's like the phone has become more and more and more and more part of everyone's day-to-day uh, routine, business, personal, and otherwise. Uh, but I, I like that. And I I think some of us, including myself, need to uh, t- just have some more discipline. <laughs> do I want to have a good day tomorrow? Let me do everything that, that I can within my power, which certainly setting the phone somewhere else. Uh, it can be one of those things. If you're traveling, you know, you use it as your alarm clock, but still the principle, you don't necessarily have to grab it first thing and all that either. So,
1: yeah, no, I, I think it, so. A lot of, a lot of the good old fashioned, I know in today's world, we're always looking for the latest hack or the <clears throat> shortcut. And, but I think somebody's like tried and true proven over time tips are, are just perfect for us to have the life that we want to have.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's that fast, fun, and easy mentality. that, And that's one of the things the smartphones have kind of fostered in our society, too, is everything's so fast, fun, and easy on a smartphone, generally. Uh, and so it's like we are just used to now on the outside of the phone, everything has to follow suit. And it uh, generally doesn't, especially when it comes to things we want to accomplish. Uh, you got to put in the work, you got to really focus and stuff. Um, now, as I look at your, uh, some of the things that you teach here, you talk about doing more with your day. So you're not just bringing energy leftovers home. What What do we mean by that exactly? I think it's kind of speaks for itself, but how do we do that also?
1: Well, the, the general principle is this, where I see so many busy professionals, you know, on phones and otherwise they're giving all their energy to their work. So by the time they get home, all they have is that gas needles, like on the gas tank in your car, like it's near empty. We're on fumes. And mm. this is the moment, like if you have kids or spouse, you know, they want, they want your best self too. Of and we often come home with our energy leftovers, or we continue just hustling, grinding it on the couch after dinner. So, for me it's i think what what is i think going to be paramount which is going to be part of the currency as we go forward in this new decade because the the pace of life is going to get faster just because of technology that we have to build our agility to respond to life's unforeseen moments but also manage our energy better so managing our energy throughout our days, so we have the right type of energy for ourselves you know some of its self-care the sort of do the things that we want to do, reading or working out or what have you, but also having the energy for the people that we care about the most or the things that we care about the most. And we know this, that not every hour of our 24 hours each day is, is equal. Like for me, 9.00 AM, you're going to get a better Michael O'Brien at 9.00 AM than you are at 9.00 PM at 9.00 PM. I'm getting a little sleepy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but at 9.00 AM, I know like, all right, so that's when my energy is maximized. So m- let me think about when I do my work. Daniel Pink has written about this in terms of when. So it's being smart about when we get our work done and the, the priorities of our work, when do we want to queue those up? But also making sure throughout the day that we're being mindful of our guesting. So when we come home to our kids, to our dogs and cats and other animals and our spouse, that we have enough to give them. And when we give, we usually get some energy back. And it has a nice like two way street. But I see too many busy professionals or just busy people today. They're spent before they get home. And then then those relationships suffer over time. And for those folks that I work with who are in their thirties and maybe forties, what I try to share with them is like, listen, you are investing in your relationship today. So when you get into your 50s and your kids go off to school and you become an empty nest couple, mm. well, the stuff you do now is going to influence how you are when it's an empty nest. And I say that as someone who now has an empty nest and mm. we will celebrate 26 years of marriage come this May, but we invested in our relationship so we we, we knew we could be a couple after our kids left. Yeah, And they're not totally totally out of the house they're just in college but there are period (laughs) long periods of time where it's just us yeah yeah. and i think we can have a really healthy and we do have a healthy vibrant relationship now because of the work we did with our relationship 10 years ago or 15 years ago
0: Mm. yeah great great points you know i hear very successful people talk about uh, we talk about this energy not bringing home just the leftovers of you know putting um, doing the the harder things first in the day. Um, th- that's why it's probably better if you can to get your if you're going to exercise, do that first thing. Not that that has to be hard necessarily. Again, it's how we frame it, right? <laughs> it this is an opportunity to get our our bodies uh, in tune for the day. Um, but whatever it is, whatever you deem maybe the harder thing. Do that first. that's at least some of the things I've learned and I don't always apply perfectly but none of us apply and that's the other thing we don't need to have maybe pressure for perfection but these are just general principles we try to more and more balance our lives and 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 be successful overall. Uh, and I let's see as I'm looking here at some of these other things that, that you talk about, uh, some of it involves negative self-talk. And that, that can, you know, hold us back. And what is it about negative self-talk that can, because it's just words at the end of the day, or it's just thoughts even. And how do we break that cycle?
1: Well, that's, that's a big one. And this is more common. And over the years, I've realized it's more common than i even thought going back a few years, Mm -hmm. you know, call it imposter syndrome, call it inner critic or self-narrative this whole pursuit of perfection, because I think you're spot on, Phil, is that things don't have to be perfect. Like we can set our intentions and some days are going to be better than others. Like I set out the intention that I'm going to eat very healthy each day. And some days, not so much. But the cool thing about it is that I get to start over tomorrow Mm -hmm. and get back into that discipline. And I I think part of how we move forward, because our thoughts drive emotions, And our emotions do have a great influence on our behavior is understanding what we're telling ourselves, that inner critic story, that, you know, listen to Brene Brown, the whole shame and guilt and all those different worries and anxiety, all those emotions and how those are present. It really holds us back from stepping into life and connecting with others. It's hard to be present if half our brain is worried about something or we don't feel worthy enough. And I see this a lot with many professionals as they work their way up the corporate ladder. When they get to the next run, a lot of times imposter syndrome comes in where they feel like, well, maybe my success hasn't been earned appropriately, that people are going to see me as a fraud or a fake. And that holds them back from really participating in their new role. And what happens is the people around them only see, only see the, the behavior right they don't know what's happening below the water surface it's the tip of the iceberg so for me one of the things i love to do with folks is like let's talk about that conversation you're having with yourself mm-hmm. and what are ways we can shift it when it does come up because for most of us it's going to come up from time to time we just don't want it to be too loud or last last too
0: long yeah yeah and that's that's all excellent talk because again i i am a firm believer and again, never perfect at it. I, and one of my problems, I tend to be a perfectionist sometimes, which uh, I know there's a lot of us out there, and and I don't fully know why at times, but uh, the ir- irony of perfectionism is that it's imperfect by nature because perfection just doesn't exist here. <laughs> so, yes. and but yes. I like what you say, it's it's a bigger picture view of life. And, and I always think about it from the standpoint, sometimes in the movies, you kind of see maybe the top of a house and then they zoom out and you see kind of the neighborhood and gradually see the city. And maybe sometimes it goes all the way out and you see maybe the whole planet. And you kind of look at a bigger picture and you can look at smaller versions of that bigger picture. But the bigger picture is not these moments. It's not this day. It's it's not these events, especially the bad ones. It's the bigger picture life. And uh, realize that it's always tomorrow. Maybe I messed up today on my nutrition or I, I yelled at my kids and I need to fix that or, you know, whatever it might be. But there's always tomorrow, and as long as we're trying to make progress and trying, I think that's really kind of the name of the game, and we can all kind of be in this together as a team as you go help these million-plus people (laughs) with with what we're talking about. Is there anything to be said, by the way, for minimalism? Uh, I hear people talk about that. Uh, I was listening to an interview with Linda Hamilton you know, from the Terminator movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, absolutely, yeah. She was on the ID10T podcast when that movie was coming out, and uh, the more recent Terminator. But she talks about in her life, all that matters to her is she has some animals, a stack of books and some key close friends. And that's all that's going to matter when she's gone. Um, Is there anything to be said for that as we kind of overcomplicate our lives sometimes with, with more stuff, whatever that might be, clothes and cars and debt and (laughs) other nonsense that that can weigh us down. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I, I think that there's some real truth to that, you know, and for me, I'm I'm quite happy with a maybe a you know a nice burrito and a a, a bicycle or two to, yeah. to get me going but <laughs> I think it, when I was younger what what I bought into was you yeah, got more stuff you know all your stuff is are are the trophies the trophies are the of script? accomplishment right the, the yeah the script the big house the fancy car you know you'd be happy once you get that fancy car and then over time especially as you're you know, for me, as I was sitting in my recovery and almost losing my life and doctors had told my wife, had I been 10 years older, I certainly would have passed away before I got to the hospital because of the vascular artery tear that I lost so much blood. I realized all that stuff wasn't like, it wasn't valuable in the moment. Like it didn't matter. All I wanted was my health back and I wanted to be the best husband I could be and the best father I could be and friend and, and person best version of who I could be. So I think there's a lot mm-hmm. to be said for just having them a minimal amount of stuff. Now for folks that like nice stuff, and there's certain a lot of people out there, you can have a minimum amount of stuff, but it can be really nice. So I've, I've taken that approach where I, I don't have a lot of stuff. I've, I'm horrible now filled to shop for it Cause people are like, what do you want? I go, I really, I, I don't want anything. I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I'd rather have a good conversation or make a donation to a charity or, or what have you, because I don't need anything.
0: yeah, I
1: don't really want anything. I just, and I re, I want, I want us to realize that we have a choice in this life, that we don't have to keep chasing. And when that happens, we can connect better. And I think as a society we have We have a desperate need for more connection, and even though we don't agree on everything, we never have and we never will not on all things, but at least we can connect with each other and and see the see the value in our differences and and yeah. live in a live in a society that's just healthier and with that, I maybe mean, we can solve you know some of today's problems that we haven't solved yet and certainly be in a better position to solve tomorrow's problems,
0: yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, sometimes we take that need for connection or other basic human needs, and we artificially fill that void, so to speak, with kind of these stagnant, depreciating—I might add—generally uh, physical items, uh, you know, inanimate objects, if you will. And and that's there's no life there. I mean, literally, these are inanimate objects in, in a lot of cases. And so it, it, it kind of gets down to me. We talk a lot about in, in the podcast about make great moments. Uh, it's kind of a challenge for all of us day to day. It, it kind of gets down to experiences, especially with those we love and care about, versus stuff. Uh, and so we could go on and on and on. But that's just food for thought for all of us as we as we listen to this uh, conversation here. Um, as we get ready to close here too, because there's a lot we could cover. Um, a couple things I'd like to still touch on is. Uh, leadership and teamwork. And you talk about some things about how terrible bosses can teach us some things about leadership, but in a in, in family setting, any organization, there's an element of leadership and, and hopefully teamwork. How how does all that apply to to these principles?
1: Well, I think it applies going back to framing. You know, when we have a bad boss, like our work-wise, there's, it can be very difficult, if not just horrendous. But framing it and shifting our perspective on that bad boss. That's why I've written a couple of different articles on it where I I look back at some bad bosses I had and certainly they weren't the best bosses. They just, they weren't necessarily the the best boss for me, but I still learned a whole bunch from them. And sometimes I learned what not to do. And that's the advice I give people when we're stuck with a relationship where the person you know, the person isn't doing it for us, or however we want to phrase it. Well, certainly, we always have an option to quit. We don't have to stay in that job. Yeah. But let's just say we have no other choice because those situations do occur where we have a bad boss. He's not, you know, our great leader that we want. Well, we can start to shift our perspective on the, on that and and learn valuable things and maybe about what not to do. And I think we we can get. We can get through our work and have maybe more meaning of our work if we can just shift our perspective in that way. But I think one of the big things I tried to work with leaders on, and teams, is more of a concept of power with, in terms of driving success today. In our old corporate America way of thinking, when we came off the farms and agriculture economy into manufacturing, we developed this hierarchy of power over. The boss you know, it's a pyramid of the corporate org chart. The boss is over the people, and we're directing and just managing. We're not leading. We're not bringing people to a, a new place, a place that's better tomorrow than it is today. But I think what we need today with a different economy is more of a power with mentality. Yes, we still have the org chart, but as a leader, I'm with you, my team members. We're going to do this together. We all have different roles. We're not doing the same thing, but we're going to be together. And part of being together is connecting, but it's also providing feedback to help us go forward. And I'm going to provide this feedback to you in an empathetic way because I care about you. Dare I say I love you, not in a romantic way, but Mm -hmm. in a caring way that I want to provide all that I can to help you build the skills necessary to have a vibrant career. Because Mm -hmm. one day you may leave this company and go on to a new company as it is now with younger generations. So I think we could do a lot more in terms of changing culture at work if we had more of a power with mentality versus the old school power over hierarchy, do as I say, command and control approach.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We win together, especially these organizations. And uh, you you talk about the word caring. I know that you kind of have this acronym with the word care, which is connection. We don't need to get into all this right now in the interest of time, but I think these words kind of speak for themselves. Connection, awareness, resilience, Empathy, C-A-R-E, care, connection, awareness, resilience, empathy. I think awareness might be uh, among the at least foundational pieces of this whole puzzle, too, just being aware of these moments, of those around us, of the things we're letting in and, and striving as much as possible to only let in uh, those things on all levels. From our physicality and nutrition to those around us and the things we listen to, uh, whether it be podcasts, maybe hopefully one like this uh, or, or other things, to, to raise our energy and our uh, frequency of our that energy to uh, the, the highest levels, so that so that like we're doing here, talk about all these principles to overcome those those difficult moments that arise inevitably here and there. Um, and I, and lastly, I just, unless you want to touch on more of that, but I also want to ask you real quick, is there anybody, especially within light of your experiences and things you described here that, that you would call heroes that you want to touch on or again, touch on anything else as we wrap up here?
1: Well, I want to go back to the awareness piece because as you mentioned, Phil, it's key. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, listening to this podcast and your podcast, I think it's, it's one way to have greater awareness. And I think it is, it's a cornerstone of awareness around the the emotions i feel you know because we can feel over a hundred a hundred different emotions it's not just the primary six and and having a, a better understanding a better emotional vocabulary which then gives us a better chance to have emotional management and connection with other people mm-hmm. and also being aware of like what we're feeding our mind with and our bodies and i mean that that is a that is a cornerstone that is so important to creating the life that we want. As far as heroes, you know, yeah. one of, one of the guys who um, helped me get into this line of work with the guy that I mentioned, David, who taught me about labels and how everything is neutral until we label them and nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. Yeah. You know, here he's got a practice out of Portland, Maine. He's not one of those influencers on social media, but he was the first guy I ever knew who was an executive coach. I didn't even know the profession existed back in 2000, 2001. And I, what I, I think, you know, the heroes of today are all the people around us, you know, forget about the icons, you know, the, the Oprah's of the world and Oprahs. you know, an Oprah like is obviously very inspiring and motivating, but I think they're, some just beautiful stories amongst us in our neighborhoods, in our grocery stores of people that have gone through their last bad day moment. And they found a way to be resilient. They got back up again. They they're gritty. They keep going. They're tenacious. They, they go in through the back door door. If the front door is like jammed. And I think those stories are so much more relatable compared to the, the famous people. And I I love gravitating towards those folks because those Folks who are trying to balance career and job and doing it all by themselves and they don't have a bunch of help. I think those are some wonderful, wonderful stories that can can give us great role models on how we want to show up in the world to create create more change.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's a great uh, point and maybe a good place as we wrap up here too. And I just heard somebody recently say that you look at the people, if, if we're feeling lost in life, and I for one have have been there at times, maybe you and others as well, it, it, look at the people you admire, and a lot of times the qualities that you look at, you admire are things that, that are already in some, let's say, embryonic or uh, growing stage within you because that's one of the reasons you admire them and these other people and uh and so it's always good to have people to admire and look up to in the right way and uh and and also understand how does that relate to me again is this whole big picture view that we talked about too as, as far as both awareness and framing and all of it i can't thank you enough michael is there anything else you want to add as we wrap up here because i, I was no, wanting I make just sure. a
1: huge thank you like for having me on and sharing my story and i hope your listeners got a pearl or two in it i think the work the work you're doing is great i like i'm a fan of the show so um it's sort of cool like to listen to the show and then then to be on and i just <laughs> have a lot of gratitude for you giving me some space to, to share my last bad day so others don't have to like go through their moment and they can put their last bad day in the rearview mirror as well
0: yeah powerful stuff i couldn't agree more the last bad day what a concept again the book is shift creating better tomorrows uh, invite everyone to go uh find that pick that up and look up uh, michael o'brien here and uh, all the great work that he's doing without further ado thank you also michael and uh, we always remind our audience empower yourself empower the world around you thank you Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.